Hi, my name is Keith. I'm a recovering type A. <laughs> Those of you that are type A's can appreciate that. It's good to see you all today. It is a great day. It's a beautiful winter time. I was thinking when Rusty asked me to come up here that one of the things a type A does is learns from Stephen Covey, start with the end in mind. You ever heard that before? When you start something, start with the end in mind and what you're going to do. And when Rick was singing, uh, I see Christmas a lot differently than others. But like to think of the Christmas story with the end in mind, I just feel like there is this uh, dinner party up in heaven after the fall of mankind. And they were sitting there toasting one another and trying to figure out. How are we, the three of us, going to respond to humans choosing to rebel against us? We could vaporize this whole thing and hit the reset button. We could just vaporize it and just us never hit the reset button. Or we could do something to reset the button and let existence go on. And Jesus raised his hand. He said, you know what? I will take on the form of a human and go take care of this situation. And the other two are like, no way, this cannot happen. That is too harsh of a situation. And and he says, no, I want to do this for you, Father. I want to do this for you, Spirit, so you all might benefit from me. And that's what they did. Whenever they would have these little, I don't know if if you're Baptist, it wouldn't be a cocktail party. If you're Methodist, maybe it was a cocktail party or if might be coffee or tea party. I don't know what it was. But they would sit and just bless one another by their very beings because that's what they did. It's all about the other two of the Trinity. And so when Jesus said, I'm going, and they devised the plan to have him come in the form of a little baby, um, the beginning of this process, even though it was a celebration, was the beginning of the real celebration, which comes at Easter. Does that make sense? Like the beginning, Christmas was known what the point of that was so that there would be an Easter. And, and he says that, I think, in um, Ecclesiastes 8. Greater is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth in the eyes of the Lord. Is that weird? That's just one of the weirdest ideas ever. And so I celebrate Christmas knowing that I've got a God that loves me. He loves me so much that he would take on the form of a human he take on a body just like yours and mine that hears all this garbage that's going on in the background. And he would live this life perfectly and die perfectly so we might have this thing called eternal life. It just blows me, in my, it blow, it just blows me away to think that God would do that. I don't know about you guys. So when Christmas comes, I celebrate the idea that a God would take up the form of a human, which... There's no other religion that has anything like that. (laughs) All their gods are made of little plastic or stone or whatever. Our God took up flesh so that we might have life. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Father, you are the God of gods. You're the king of kings. You are the master of the universe. You are the one, the only. You are able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we can think or imagine. You are the great I am. You are the one that cares most about our unique situations. You're the one that cares about our first day on planet Earth. You're the one that cares about our last day on planet Earth. 
And you're the one that welcomes us out of these bodies into your big arms, Lord. What a cool God you are. What a great way that you take care of us through our unique journey. And we thank you, Lord, that when our journey is finished, that you are there, the great comforter, to comfort those that are left behind us. And that comforting, we know, Lord, varies in time for each one of us, that some of us recover from grief in a shorter period, and others of us take more time. And we just pray that you would continue to bring this group, all groups of believers around those who are hurting and grieving, that they might find encouragement, find hope, and look forward to that day when they too get to set these bodies free and be embraced by your loving soul, Lord. Just thanks for all the people this week that have challenges, whether it's the loss of a loved one that's taken place by a fire or some unknown illness or whatever the case may be, COVID, or those that are having surgery or those that are coming to their finish line, Lord. Just give encouragement to folks and let them see you as you really are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Well, Merry Christmas. Really? Merry Christmas. There you go. Uh, for those of you that have been hanging out with us, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and we finished the love chapter last week, which was chapter 13, so that brings us to chapter 14, and it's all about speaking in tongues. I didn't think that was the appropriate message for today, so uh, I'm putting that aside, <laughs> and uh, would like to bring to you very traditional Christmas message, which comes out of Luke chapter 2. But understanding that, I look at the room and I, I, see, I see many different situations in the room. I see uh, different emotions in the room, uh, feelings, but I also see much truth in the room. And you just heard a little bit from Keith right there. So today, if you saw my message on Facebook, I just pray that God will give you faith enough to hear this message today. That he will be able to calm you of all the things that you've got on your plate right now. That you're able to focus right here on God's word. We start in Luke chapter 2. I'm reading a a different translation than I normally use. Uh, But verse 1, it says this. At that time, a decree was issued by Augustus Caesar. A census was to be taken of the whole world. This was the first census before the one when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You see, my other translation would say this was when Quirinius was the governor But if you go back in history, we know that Jesus was born probably somewhere around 5 to 7 B.C. Before, like, you realize the calendar was divided at Luke chapter 2. Before Christ and after. But they kind of missed. It's kind of missed. But we know that uh, Quirinius was not the governor until after 1 AD, based upon our history. So this translation literally says, 
before the one when Quinarius was governor of Syria. It gets the details right. So you question, well, did Luke, did Luke mess up? No, we probably still think that Quinarius had some kind of authoritative responsibility to create that census at that time. He may not have been governor, had that title, which he eventually got, but maybe not the time of this census. Whatever. So verse 3, it says, So everyone set off to be registered, each to their own town. Joseph, too, who belonged to the house and family of David. I could camp on that right there for the whole morning, but that's just a different message. The Messiah was prophesied that he would come from the lineage of David. It says, Joseph too, who belonged to the house and the family of David, went from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea, David's city, to be registered with his fiancée, Mary, who was pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. Did you catch that? Fiancée, who was pregnant. You know the story. Verse 6 says, So that's where they were when the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Think about this for a minute. Just Just process this story. Who is the only person in the whole world that absolutely knows that Mary was a virgin? There's Mary. She's the only one in the whole world that knows she's a virgin. But the story is, she's a virgin. The question is, do you believe it? Did everyone at the time believe it? I'm not so sure that they did. Mary was a teenager. She was a teenager. Was she questioning that there was another way for her to get pregnant? Like, did I drink some water? Did I hang around people too long? Did I get too close to Joseph? You know how the thinking goes, right? I, I didn't have sex, but yet I'm pregnant. The power of sin, which is what we call it in this room, I'm sure was even working in this teenage mind of a young girl named Mary. She had to doubt what she was told by an angel. But then again, she knew. She absolutely knew that this baby, Emmanuel, Jesus, was something special. I had a conversation at my house with some friends this week about Mark chapter 3, verse 20, 21. It says, this is when Jesus was older and he's an adult and he's began his ministry and actually healing people and he's being chased down by the Pharisees because they think that he's healing people based upon the spirit of Beelzebub, the evil one. It says in this verse 20, Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, when his family heard this, the Greek says the kinship heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. 
The dude is out, Jesus is out of his mind. It said his family. Like, does that include mom? The only one who knew that he was special. The only one that knew Jesus came from a virgin. His brothers? Mm, could have been. And then when you say he's out of his mind, you, you go, were they really thinking that he was insane? Was he crazy? Or were they saying that he's going into a situation where it's not good for his well-being and we need to protect him? There's so much that we could deal with right there, but I think about the mother, Mary. I'm not so sure. Maybe. Power of sin. Would she think her son was crazy? But back to Luke 2. Just process with me, okay? She wrapped him up and put him to rest in a feeding trough. If you go to Israel with us, we're going to take you there to Bethlehem. We're going to take you to where the shepherds still to this day have their flocks. And the manger is not some kind of wooden thing that rots every year and they have to rebuild it. It's actually a stone trough. This is probably the trough that Mary placed Jesus in. It says, because there was no room for them in the normal living quarters. There were shepherds in that region, out in the open, keeping a night watch around their flock. An angel of the Lord stood in front of them. (laughs) Imagine that. An angel of the Lord standing in front of you. The glory of the Lord shone around them. This is another message right here. The whole glory of the Lord, it's the same glory that was in the burning bush that was there when Moses was there in the Old Testament. The glory of the Lord, it's the same thing that followed them by fire and clouds and it led them around through Israel and through the desert. It disappeared. It went away, that glory. And now all of a sudden in the New Testament, This glory of the Lord shone around them, and and they were terrified. They had no idea what was going on. Verse 10, it says, Don't be afraid, the angel said to them. I'm going to camp here for a second. Don't be afraid. I was talking uh, with Michelle this week, and we were talking about the the definition of fear. What is the definition of fear? Well, the definition of fear for me is this, that it's projecting something negative in the future that hasn't occurred yet. Think about that. Your fear is projecting into the future something that hasn't occurred yet, and it's usually a negative sense. Hasn't occurred. It says right here that they were afraid. The angel said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, uh, fear, at least the idea of fear, is a real thing. And it's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's something that we experience. And I say this all the time right here in this room. Feelings and emotions are aren't always true. 
they aren't always true. Sometimes they are. But a lot of times they aren't. So you can't take feelings and emotions and equate them to a truth. I mean, you, you think about, we're in the middle of like one of the biggest fears of your life right now. A pandemic. And all sorts of fears are being created out of this pandemic. But think, there's been fears all along. You, you go back to the, the Cold War and nuclear bombs and guess what? People were building bomb shelters to live in because the fear they were projecting this could happen to us. So now they're literally building bomb shelters. What about uh, UFOs and aliens? Remember when that was a big deal? The UFOs and yeah, it's probably still a fear fear of some and then uh remember when russia's space satellite crashed to earth and then nasa was talking about that the space station might come crashing to earth and everybody kind of freaked out about the space station you know what if it lands in my backyard or lands on my kids or there's this fear we literally had killer bees now we have murder hornets those fears. Oh, and uh, Y2K. Y2K, remember? You're, you've waited like all your life to get to the year 2000, New Year's Day, and you're on pins and needles looking at your computer screen because it's going to crash and everything that's important to you is going to go away. Your VCR is not going to work anymore. And then, of course, 9-11 came along, and we had our TSA upgrades. We had more paperwork to do. It consumed our time because of fear. And think about this. This will get you. Think about McDonald's commercials right now. You know what I'm saying? It's all about the food. Can anybody explain to me in the last two or three years what has happened to Ronald McDonald? Where'd he go? Think about it. Have you seen a McDonald's commercial with a clown in it lately? Because all of a sudden we have this fear about clowns. So McDonald, who Ronald McDonald, who I grew up with, he's just evaporated because of fear. Talk about drone armies. You talk about phobias. We haven't even gotten to the list of phobias, but a phobia is this irrational fear of something that's unlikely to cause harm. The word itself comes from the Greek word phobos, which means fear or horror. Look at just some of these phobias that are real. There's fear of chickens, fear of names, Now, I'm not making light of this because some of you in this room may have these fears. I get it. Fear of beards. Don't ask me to pronounce all these. Fear of clouds, fear of ice or cold, fear of the figure eight. Really? And fear of teenagers. (laughs) That's a real one right there. (laughs) That's not just emotion. That's just uh, experience right there. Fear of... And then I'm sure there's got to be a name for fear of pandemics. But go back to what 
Keith was saying. There was no fear created in the actual original creation. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and even Genesis chapter 2, and there's, fear is not there. But when the fall of man occurred in Genesis chapter 3, all of a sudden fear showed up. Remember, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and suddenly they saw themselves of naked, and they hid from God because they were afraid. All of a sudden now fear shows up in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. And I'll say this. In creation, it is never what God intended for us to be scared. Never to have fear. It wasn't there. It only occurred after the fall of man. And then they literally take this book right here and you go through it. You go through it and it says, hey, don't be afraid. Let me show you. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah 41 says this, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Some of you in this room today need to hear this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. That's in the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament and you get to the Gospels and look, each one of the Gospels you find something. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. It says, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, fear. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't have fear. Mark chapter 5, verse 36, it says, When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Only believe. That's a clue. That's a clue. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, it says, Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And then in John, Jesus again, red letter, says this, 1427, says, Peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. Believe. And then you go even to Paul. Paul writes these letters. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's not room for fear here. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I will tell you this. 
fear is not going away. It's not going away. So then you have to ask the question, well, how do I deal with fear? If fear is not going away, how do we deal with it? Listen. This is the real Christmas gift right here. He says, look, I've got good news for you. News which will make everybody very happy. Today, a Savior has been born for you. The Messiah, the Lord, in David's town. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped up and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, with the angel, there was a crowd of the heavenly armies. (laughs) They were praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among these in his favor. So when the angels had gone away again into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Well then, (laughs) well then, let's go to Bethlehem and see what it's all about. All this that the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the feeding trough. When they saw it, they told them what had been said to them about this child. And all the people who heard it were amazed at the things the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured all these things and mused over them in her heart. She absolutely knew without a shadow of a doubt. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now let me back up a second. When they saw it, verse 17, they told them what had been said to them about this child. Think about the transition of emotions and feelings at this very point in verse 17. The angel said, the angel and its army of angels said, do not fear. Yeah, right. There's an angel and an army of angels standing around them in God's glory. And they're like shepherds in the field. And they're, what is going on? Do not fear. Yeah, that's going to cause me not to fear you saying that. Fear is not going away. So the whole journey there was full of fear and doubt. What are we doing? We're chasing this star, this angels. It's this crazy power of sin causing them to send them all these weird thoughts, the shepherds. But that moment, that, that very moment, the shepherds laid eyes on baby Jesus, the Savior of the world. All fear was gone. You see the transition of emotions. Don't be afraid. But the moment they laid eyes on their Savior, Jesus, baby Jesus, the fear was gone. Their emotions immediately changed from fear to complete joy just like that. Oh, everything they told us was true. It was true. So I go back to that question. How do you deal with fear? 
It's not going away. I believe that fear is met head on in the head. How do you deal with fear? It's met head on in the head. We have to set our feelings and emotions to the side and trust what we know. You have to let your knowledge and what you know impact your feelings. Don't let your feelings impact what you know. Are you with me? What we know is this right here. Think about this this week because you're going to catch yourself and you're going to catch those around you. I'm not asking you to dismiss your feelings here because you can't. You can't dismiss your feelings. You're going to have feelings. You're going to have emotions. But think about it this week when you catch yourself saying, I feel like, I feel And can you actually say, I know, I know. Think about it, process it. You know, we teach, (laughs) we teach our kids from an early age to believe a man that can fly through the sky with eight tiny reindeer and a sleigh that's full of toys for uh, all the kids in the world. And this man takes one night to fly around the world and hit every home and come down the chimney and place gifts and eat cookies at every stop. That's what we teach our kids to believe. Believe. You see it all around us this week. Believe. But what if you teach your kids? What if you teach them to believe a man who came to save the whole world. He was born outside in a feeding trough. The Savior of the world didn't even have a room. So he went outside, she went outside, and he was born in a feeding trough. This same man who walked on water This same man who healed the sick. This same man who turned water into the wine. This same man that raised people from the dead. This same man became a sacrifice. For all. For all of our sin. Everything that has been done in this room. That's going on in this room. And that will be done in this room. He died one time as a sacrifice for all that sin. Tell your kids about that man. Tell them to believe that. Tell them that he came as a sacrifice so that we can have an abundant life right here in the middle of this chaotic world. The same man who died and rose again so that the Spirit could come here and reside within our mortal bodies. Tell them to believe that. On Facebook uh, yesterday, I shared about the story of this building and how it basically has been given to us for the last 12, 12, 13 years. You see, God 
provided a place for us to gather on Sunday mornings. Free of charge. God did that. You may think that I did that in conversations with pinheads. I didn't do that. Yeah, I was utilized in it, but this place right here is provided by God. And that night in Bethlehem, God provided a feeding trough for a Savior of the world. You go, huh, some provision. His very own son going to be born in a feeding trough. Doesn't even make sense. The son of God didn't even have a place, a bed. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that it was free of charge, just like pinheads. Free of charge. But today, today, God has provided a place for his spirit to dwell. And it didn't cost you a dime. It was free. It cost him a lot. As Keith said, it cost him his son. Coming here as human, a form of a baby growing up, telling us about how much he loves us, dying, being buried, raising again, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and then they send this spirit. And you, my friends, have become the dwelling place that God has provided for his spirit. That spirit that we celebrate this week is right here in you. How do you overcome fear? Believe what you know. Believe what he tells us. He's dwelling in this very place right here, right now. Jesus, the appearance of Jesus, was what caused the shepherds to overcome their fear. The presence of God in you is what causes you to overcome fear. Today, we celebrate Christmas and all that Jesus did for us, and we celebrate Easter. You know me. I celebrate the holidays, but... Every day is Christmas. Every day is Easter. Jesus was born. He was crucified, made a sacrifice, buried, rose again so that we right here could have abundant life. And I'll take the same liberty that Keith took. When they were having a discussion, the three, the Trinity, I'm pretty sure that Jesus said this in the scripture. He says, when you gather together like this, I just want you to remember what I did for you. I just want you to remember what I did for you. And here's how we do that. Jesus, the last night in human form, 
he was hanging out in a gathering with his disciples. And they had one last meal together. And today, we're going to have that meal together and we're going to remember what Jesus did today. I'm going to ask some of our people to pass out communion and we're going to take the Lord's Supper here this morning together. There's no better way, there's no better way to celebrate Christmas than to remember what he did for us. Will you give them a few minutes to like pass this out? We'll play a song here and then we'll partake together. friendly I don't think it was like this in that upper room but Jesus uh, peeled back the first piece of plastic (laughs) and he actually took the bread the bread that was there and he raised it up to his 11 disciples To his 11 disciples. One had already left. And he said, you guys, every time that you gather together, I want you to remember what is about to happen tonight. I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that in that upper room, that upper room, those 11 guys didn't have a clue what was going on. What in the world? But they did what their Savior told them. He said, I want you to take this bread and eat it because this is my body, my body which is broken for you so that you may have life eternal, so that you can have abundant life right here on earth in the midst of grief and sorrow and chaos. 
and they ate the bread. I'm sure it didn't taste like that. You know, I, I say this all the time we do communion is like, this isn't a sorrowful thing. Jesus died. I get it. Jesus died that night, and it was sorrowful that night. Their grief was very real. But to know what we know now, that Jesus raised from the dead and his spirit's living in us, and he's like, remember what I did for you? This is reason for celebration. This is reason to celebrate Christmas. This is reason to smile today, because right here, he picked up the cup, the wine, and he said, I want you to know that this is my blood my blood which is poured out for you. You see, the blood was important because it represented life. It represented life, and when the blood was poured out, there was obviously death had occurred. But because the blood was poured out as a sacrifice, it was a sacrifice of forgiveness of all your sins. Look, all your sins that you've done, doing, and going to do, they're forgotten. It's dealt with. There's never another transaction on the face of this earth that is going to deal with your sin than what he did right there on the cross. It's a done deal. It is forever done. It's not when you die and get to heaven, you've got to like do a redo or anything like that or make up for all. one time. He says, this is my blood which has been poured out for you. For the forgiveness of sins. Merry Christmas. Do not be afraid. My Savior's real. And in this very room, in this very room, he knows your hurts. He knows your joys. He knows your grief. And I pray that you're able to celebrate the life of Christ in you. Father, we thank you for this week that we uh, have the occasion to celebrate. But in all honesty, I thank you for every breath that I take that I can celebrate your life in me, that I can have abundant life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.